You know, as uh, you get older and some of you are not there yet and you're hanging around people who are, you know what they like to talk about? It's, it's what's hurting now, right? And a few weeks ago, I needed to go into the ophthalmologist because my mother had uh, glaucoma. And so every five years, I'm supposed to get a checkup. So I went in, and a nice ophthalmologist, young guy, and he does all those things they do to your eyes, and, you know, you can't see anything out of them. And he does all the exams. You wait a long time. You get some more exams. You wait a long time. You're sitting around with a bunch of people who look a lot like you, and it's like, okay, this is really what happens when you get older. Then he calls me in. He says, well, he said, uh, it's very interesting. You know, that gets your attention right there. You're sure, you know, I probably have a week, uh, and it'll all be over. And he said, uh, you have 20-20 vision. He said, you have amazing eyesight. You only have one problem. I said, what's that? He said, you're getting old. <laughs> and I'm paying him for this opinion. <laughs> you know, and he said, the muscles are weak, so you need magnification. And he said, if it's not strong enough, just go to Walmart and get a stronger one. He said, that's it. I thought, okay, so I don't mind that kind of an opinion and, and, and learning things from people when I'm getting a little bit older, but to have 20-20 vision is awesome. It means that I can actually see you, recognize your faces, and then I started thinking, what if I took that 20-20 in a different direction and said, do I see myself in the relationships I have in a 20-20 setting? Am I 20-20 with my wife, with my children, with my grandchildren? Am I 20-20 with the church? But most of all, am I 20-20 with God? In my relationship with him, do I actually have the tightness, the ability to see him as he wants to be seen? Because that's what I need to work on. And what I understand is the way you arrive there is not that difficult to do. It's called prayer. So the message today is not to help you make resolutions for the new year or confessions for the year past, but it's rather to challenge you to become a people of prayer in 2020 so that you will see what God has for you and that you'll learn what it really means to be a man or a woman or a child of prayer. There's a very well-known speaker, theologian, apology to defender of the faith, Ravi Zacharias. And he tells the story of a young boy who was learning prayer. Now, his only teacher was the television. And so he had watched a program, and it was a good program, and it certainly taught an acceptable way to pray, and he wanted a bicycle because he needed it to be able to get back and forth to school. He's 10 years old. He goes up to his bedroom that night, and he's going to mimic the prayer that he's heard. And so he gets on his knees, and he says, Oh, thou great Jehovah, thy holy one in holy places of old, wilt thou look down upon thy servant and bring him a bicycle, for surely there is a need. And I pray these things in that wonderful name of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Next day he went downstairs, there was no bicycle. Very disappointed, he went to school, he came back. That evening he changed channels, decided he'd watch a different TV program. 
Well, he came across a, a really lively one, and he said, I'm going to pray like that tonight. So he got to his bedroom, he went down on his knees, and he said, all right, Jesus, I want a, I want a bicycle. I know I'm supposed to have one. I'm claiming a bicycle right now. It's going to be blue and white. And I plan to see it in the morning because you are so good and so faithful. And I pray that believing in your name. Amen. Next morning, he went down, no bicycle. He's becoming very frustrated now. He's walking around the house. What am I supposed to do? And he sees over in a corner a statue of Mary. He takes it and he puts it under his coat. And he leaves the house, goes to school, comes back later, goes upstairs, takes off his coat, gets on his knees, and he said, Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again. <laughs> that is not acceptable prayer, okay? Maybe some of you are teaching your kids or you had this prayer when you were growing up. I still remember mine because it was so rote that when my mother would say, it's time to say your prayers, it was, now I lay me down to sleep and pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And then bless Mama, Daddy, Cookie, Bubba, Uncle Bill, Wibber, Big Daddy, G, Papa, Auntie, Happy, and Ernest. Amen. I covered the whole family, and that was it. Uh, it was pretty much uh, a meaningless prayer. But it was still being said. And of course, we prayed at our meals, and then if anybody got in trouble, they often prayed. Uh, but that was prayer to me. Until I went to seminary, after I had become a Christian, I go to seminary and I learn this high and mighty thing that prayer is the offering up of our desires unto God for those things which are in keeping with his will. And I'm thinking, surely it's got to be simpler than that. Isn't there a better way to define prayer so that you and I can understand it and, and can adapt it so that we can use it for our lives to benefit us. And so here's the definition I've come up with. Prayer is the vehicle of interaction with your father to find out what he wants you to do with your life. That's what it is. It's that one means of seeing God as he tells you, this is what I have for you. And it's a moment-by-moment -moment thing. If I'm in God's presence on a regular basis, then I should be hearing from God and be able to make decisions that benefit me and benefit others and benefit the kingdom. That's why I chose as a text for today, among all the different texts you could have for prayer, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, which simply says this, pray without ceasing. You need to develop a prayer life that leads to holiness and faith and fidelity. That's where God wants you to go. Now let me tell you just four quick things about prayer as we set it up to talk about what God expects from you if you want to hear from him. Here's the first thought about it. That prayer is the creator of and the channel of our devotion to God. It's the creator and the channel of devotion to God. So that when I go into prayer, I know that I have a God who is waiting to hear from me. And I have that channel open now. And it's not confused with other people, with other situations. My God hears me when I speak to him 
personally, individually. Secondly, I gain the anointing of the Holy Spirit through prayer. Now, you and I receive the Holy Spirit when we become believers and followers in Jesus Christ, but that Spirit lives within me. And thirdly, He doesn't want to cooperate with me. He wants to take over. And so if I am letting the Spirit of God lead my life, I can get more and more anointing from Him on a moment-by-moment basis so that that channel stays open and I can hear from God. What's it going to take? It's going to take a lot of heart and a lot of thought. It's not something that's simply done. It's not something that's only done at prayer uh, at, in times of trouble. It's not something that's done just over food. It's not something when you're looking for a parking place. Okay? Prayer is something that takes a lot of heart, a lot of energy to get to where God wants you to be. So, there are four actions necessary to get there. This is what God wants you to learn today. If you can grasp these four thoughts and put them into your dialogue and your understanding of God's intent for you, then the year 2020 is going to be different for you because you're going to be pulling down from heaven God's desires for your life. And what a great way to go, to be able to see what God has for you. The first one we call devotion. It's the beginning of being set apart through prayer. You know, we talk about doing devotions. Have you heard that before? Have you had your devotions this morning? That's like going and reading something. That's like just looking at something and trying to read it. That's not what devotion is. Devotion is, I will do anything for my family. I am devoted to my family. I will die for my family because my family is the most important thing on this earth to me. My father in heaven is devoted to me. He's devoted to you. He would do anything in heaven and on earth to protect you, to set you apart. As a matter of fact, he did. He sent Jesus Christ to die for you to show you how much he loved you. He is devoted to you. And he wants that same devotion from you to go back to him. So for me to be devoted to God, I must truly love him. And to love him, I need to know him. And to know him, I need to study him. You see, prayer is how I get to know God. When I open the scriptures, I'm not just opening the scriptures to read pages and read words. I'm opening it and I'm praying and I'm saying, Holy Spirit, you wrote all of this because the Bible says these words were not written by men, but they were inspired by God, the breath of God. God breathed into the scriptures. So when I open it to read it, he's speaking to me because the spirit is in me. So I'm sitting under the author and I'm listening to what he's saying and I'm praying, Lord, teach me what this means. Open this verse to me today. Help me see it for my own life. That's what it means to be devoted to God. Think about those who were devoted. There there are too many in Scripture to name. But just a few of the men. Joseph. Joseph was definitely devoted to God. He loved God so much that no matter what his circumstances were, when he found himself in prison, he still was devoted to God. He knew that he could speak to God and God would answer him. That's why he could say later in life, in Genesis chapter 50, You meant it for evil to his brothers, but the Lord meant it for good. Because he was devoted to God his entire life. 
Daniel, a man devoted to God, no matter where he was, he was going to live the way that God intended him to live. Peter, devoted to God. Paul, devoted to God. James, devoted to God. John, devoted to God. These are all people who are just like you and me. Now, they happen to have that joy and privilege of either knowing Messiah was coming and having a direct route to God or walking with him on the earth. We have the privilege of knowing him because he's revealed himself to us in the scriptures. So devotion is really knowing who God is. It's that outward and upward expression of an inward desire to be close to him. Prayer is an outward and upward expression of the inward desire to be close to him. And that's what God wants. He wants a relationship. He designed us for relationship. He did not design us to be apart. He wanted us to be in relationship with him on a regular basis. God is devoted to you, and your devotion needs to be toward him. So rethink the definition of that term devotion. The amount of prayer you spend with God equals how devoted you really are to him. And you can pray without ceasing. And that indicates a a constant devotion for him. Now, once you know that, hey, I'm devoted to God, I will do whatever God says, go wherever he tells me to go. Uh, I love him. I'm committed to him for the rest of my life. He's more important to me than the world. When I have that kind of a devotion, then I add to it the second thing, which is consecration. To consecrate is to set apart. God set you apart. He took you out of the world in which you were living, a world of death and destruction, because that's where you were headed before you became a follower of Jesus Christ. And he took you out of that, and he placed you and set you apart into his kingdom. So he has already set you apart. But here's the interesting thing. Though he has set us apart, his call is still for us to set ourselves apart. Moses said to the tribes, sanctify yourselves this day. In other words, you and I have a responsibility. Not only have we been set apart from the world by God, but now you and I must make conscious decisions on a moment-by-moment basis to keep ourselves set apart from the rest of the world. And the best way to do that is through prayer. You have the freedom of the will. You can make any choice you ever wanted to make in life. No one is ever going to stop you from making a choice. Here's the problem. The problem is not that you don't have freedom of the will. You do. The problem is you have freedom of the will for anything you want. Right? So your problem is not with the will, it's with the want. How do you know what you want? If you're wanting what God wants for you, then when you exercise your will, then you're consecrating yourself because you are praying and saying, God, whatever you want, not what I want, you're saying what Christ said in the garden, not my will, but your will be done. Now that means that those ideas I get, those plans that I want to make, I need to yield them to him. 
And I need to say to him, Lord, is this what you want? If it's not what you want, then stop it, and I won't do it. If it is what you want, then let it come to completion, and I will do whatever you want. Because that's what it means to be set apart. It's exercising your will in a way that is in conjunction with the will of God. And you do that no matter what. Now, that, that gets to be hard because it requires a lot of prayer. And let me tell you, prayerless people, people who don't pray, are of no value to the kingdom of God. God didn't come here to save us just to watch us be saved. He came to save us, to build a relationship with us, to expand his kingdom. And that's what this church is all about, leading people into a focused life with Christ, expanding the kingdom of God as we go out into a new campus next Sunday. It's not because we need space. It's not because we want to be well-known. It's simply because there are people who need a relationship with God. And unless you are praying for this to be successful, it's not going to happen. Because we want it to be set apart. We want it to be different from the rest of the world. That's what God wants from us in our lives. We are not called to be ordinary Christians, whatever that is. We're called to be superlative Christians. Christians who are so concerned about God and about knowing what God wants that the best thing you could do right now is don't make any New Year's resolutions. Just say, okay, God, I want 2020 and 2020. I want to see you as you are. I want you to see me as I am. I know you accept me right where I am, but I need to follow you more closely this year. I need to do the things you're calling me to do. And when you do that, you're going to see some things happen in your life. You're going to see changes take place in your life. It's amazing how God will work in us and through us to bring to pass that which he wants. So you're devoted and you're consecrated. You're in love with God and you set yourself apart by your choices from the rest of the world. You live in the world, but you're not of the world. Now those two things set the stage for the third thing. The third thing is faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Prayer builds faith. That's how faith works. Great prayer is going to yield great faith. Little prayer, little faith. If you're not a praying person, then I question whether you have faith. Because my faith is in Jesus Christ. And I know what he has promised. He said, Would a father give his son a stone if he asked for a loaf of bread? Redundant question. Of course he would not. He said, Neither will your father in heaven. But if you ask of him, he will give you your, his Holy Spirit. So when I'm praying and I'm looking for direction from God, and I know that the Spirit lives in me, and he's translating these prayers, I'm looking for the answer to come back in the form of more wisdom and knowledge from the Holy Spirit to me. Does that make sense? That, that I want to know what God wants for me. So when some opportunity comes up, some decision has to be made, 
I'm not just going to make that decision on the spot. What I'm going to say is, okay, I want to pray about that. And then I'm going to go in and say, Father, I love you. I'm devoted to you. I've set myself apart for you. And now I have enough faith to believe that you're not going to let me fail in this. You're not going to let me make a bad decision and go in the wrong direction. So I'm depending on you to reveal to me what it is you want me to do. So tell me, Lord, show me the way, and I will walk in it. I'll go anywhere you want. I'll do whatever you say. But I need to hear from you. When you're doing that, you're exercising faith. Okay, then the answer comes. And when that answer comes, then you rejoice in it, and your faith is greater. For nearly four years, we prayed for my wife. They said to her, no one's healed from this form of cancer. And we prayed for her, and we believed by faith that God could do it. Now, God didn't have to do it, because some he doesn't do it for. Some go home to Jesus with their illnesses and sicknesses. But it doesn't stop any of us from praying for them, believing that God can do it. But in this case, God chose to put her into remission. And so we are rejoicing in him for his decision now by faith. And we're remaining consecrated and devoted. But it's an in and out thing, isn't it? It's not like I'm some holy guy up here. I've got my situations too. And I find myself stepping out of consecration. I find myself just questioning myself in my devotion to God. I find myself lacking faith sometimes because I have within me what you have. That is the sin nature. And I need the help of God to overcome that. So I'm constantly in prayer. I pray without ceasing. I'm always in prayer. It's up here or it's in here. But it's always there. Because I know I can't do this on my own. I cannot get where God wants me to be if I try to make the choices and decisions to do it. The only way I can accomplish it is if he does it for me. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith pleases him, and prayer builds that faith. So why would I not pray? So what's your prayer life like? What are the mountains that you're going to face this coming year. Maybe some of them were built this year and you haven't been able to get rid of them. Maybe they're in relationships. Maybe they have to do with work or with money or a multitude of other possibilities. But they are mountains for you that you wish were not there. You know, Scripture says if we had the faith of a mustard seed, we could say to that mountain, move, and it would move. Now, I literally believe that, that anything that God says in Scripture is true. So I'm going to challenge you to think of your mountain. At this point, just limit it to one. Some of you have a whole mountain range, and I know that. <laughs> Many of us do. But think of a mountain that's in your life that you really would like God to remove. And here's the process we're going to go through right now. I'm going to ask you three questions. Don't answer it, just answer it silently. First of all, do you truly love the Lord? If not, you need to accept him as Lord and Savior today. You need to say, Jesus, come into my heart, forgive my sins, and get me started so that I can understand what he's talking about up there. But if you do know him, do you really love him? Do you need to ask forgiveness for some things to indicate your love for him? He's listening. 
Secondly, are you really ready to set yourself apart from some habits and issues in life that you need to discard so that you can be closer to him? If you make that choice, exercise your will in that manner, then he's going to bless that. Thirdly, do you have faith to believe that God can move your mountain? If you have those three and you're in process in them, you haven't arrived, none of us has arrived. But if you are in process of being devoted and consecrated and exercising faith, then here's what I'm going to challenge you to do right now. Silently, while you're sitting there, I'm going to give you an uncomfortable two minutes. And during that two minutes of silence, you're going to present your mountain to God. And God promises you that he's going to deal with that mountain and with you in 2020. So let's pray. I'll end it when the two minutes are up. seems like an eternity, doesn't it? But you know what? Remember what we sang? That I thought I had lost me, but he knew where I left me. He picked up all the pieces and put me back together. God's going to move the mountain for you in this coming year. So we've talked about devotion and consecration and faith. The fourth one we're going to talk about is really, it's an attitude. It's, it's called fire. You see, fire is what you need in your prayer life. I remember asking an old Baptist pastor once, the best technique of preaching, he said, start low, stay slow, rise higher till you catch fire and then burn. <laughs> and there's a concept of that in prayer. That... God does not like insincerity or lukewarmness. As a matter of fact, someone said this, two things that God loathes, look at what they are. They are that lack of heart and lack of heat. Let me explain that to you. I've been in ministry for 45 years. The first 25 years of my ministry, I had a great heart, and I still do. But I had a heart for God, a heart to share the gospel, a heart to love people, to, to make things happen. But 20 years ago, God came along and added heat to the heart. And all of a sudden, I had a burning desire to see people's lives changed. 
And I said to God, I'll do anything you want, go anywhere you want, no matter what it costs. And I tell you what, the last 20 have been five times more exciting than the first 25. Because when you add heat, which means you yield totally to the work of the Holy Spirit in you. And you yield to that saying just what I said. Whatever you want, wherever you want, whenever you want, I'm yours. If you will do that, that fire, that warmness, that heat in you will expand God's kingdom. He will use you in every way possible. Someone just told me this morning about going to the bank and hearing God say, all right, after you make this deposit, take out $50 and put it cash in your pocket. Then he went to Myers to shop and he bought something and he was ready to go pay for it. He was going to go through self-checkout, which most of us like to do. He said, I heard God say, no, go down there. Go through one of those lanes. He said, there are people in that lane, you know. He said, no, go through that lane. So he gets behind this person. There's a woman there. She's buying Christmas presents, but she doesn't have enough money to pay for them. So she starts sliding back what she can't afford. And he walks up. And he pays for all of it. And he said, that's why God had me take out $50. Let me tell you, that's expanding the kingdom. That's listening to what God wants you to do in the smallest of things. And if there's something in my life that's important enough to me to offer to him, there's nothing too small for him to respond to. God will respond to everything we ask him if we are devoted and consecrated and faithful. Let that fire rest in you this year. And let that fire be the driving force that helps you pray for others. Let me tell you, you know, next Sunday, it's going to happen. I'm going to invite our praise team to come on back up now. Next Sunday, it's going to happen. We're going to open the Alma campus. And that campus is, we have no idea how many people are going to show up. We have no idea what's going to happen. All we know is this, is that the Lord is good. And when we see God show up down there, it'll be because you prayed. So we're going to have corporate prayer this morning. You know, in Acts chapter 2, the early church came together. And in their coming together, they did things like they ate together, they opened the scriptures together, and they prayed together. Because where the church corporate is gathered together, there's a tremendous amount of prayer. And God looks down and he doesn't see four or five hundred individuals. What he sees is his church. And he loves to see his church in this setting. And he hears the prayers coming up. There's going to be a list of things for you to pray about. And I'm going to ask you just to turn to people that are near you and just pray together. And we're going to be worshiping up here. When you finish praying, you stand and you worship with us. The first thing we're going to do is pray for our new campus pastor, Aaron Mora, who's been around this church for 12 years and on staff for 10. You're not going to see much of him anymore unless you're going to Alma, but he will be here once in a while to, to preach and to uh, do other things with us. So let's pray for, for Aaron first. Lord Jesus, we ask a special anointing of fire upon Aaron. We ask you and thank you for the gifts you've given him 
set him apart, set his wife and his four children apart unto this high calling of leading your church. Lord, we praise you for this opportunity. We thank you that we as a church can send him and we can pray for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Aaron, Katie Block, and then our new guy, Jesse, that you just met, and his wife, who's also called Jesse, but spelled differently. So Jesse and Jesse, you're going to pray for them also. And then there's a list of things that will come up here. Choose as you do to pray for them. And then as you finish your prayer, stand and worship with us.